You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. And amen. So um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say if you were to like take a look at me that you would probably guess, hey, that, that guy probably really enjoys food. <laughs> Is that fair to say? Like, not maybe your first thought, don't be cruel, but like probably you think, I bet he is a a connoisseur of maybe Texas barbecue or something. Like he could probably recommend a few good restaurants here in Lubbock. That's that's fair to say, all right? I'm not gonna throw myself under the bus too much. Um, But one of the things that Caitlin, my wife uh, over here, likes to do um, and notice about me is that, especially when we first got married, is that uh, she would make something uh, for dinner. It'd be like the, the first meal that we ever had together. I'd be like, this is so good. Like, what'd you put in this? And it was like Sloppy Joe's. She's like, uh, Manwich? Like, just put it on there. And it's like, it's so good. How'd you do this? And so, like, she'd make something else. and be like, what's, what's in this? I, well, it's, it's pretty simple. And so, also, um, whenever uh, Eleanor, our little girl, was, was born back in May, we had... Um, lots of people bringing meals and stuff. And I would take a bite and I would like text that person like, what's in there? This is the greatest thing ever. I was like, Ali and Maddox made something for us. I was like, what is, what is in this sauce? Like, like I gotta know, what is the secret sauce? I think Zach and Becca made some like potatoes and they didn't know why I was so like enamored by them. I was like, they're so good. What'd you put in them? And so I, I'm kind of a connoisseur of food. I wanna know that what are the ingredients? What went into this meal or this dish that just made it so, so good? I think there have been, I know there have been plenty of people um, in my upbringing and in my adulthood, um, married couples that I look at, I see uh, their relationship with each other, I see their marriage. Um, and there are examples of, of, of really two main things. There are those that I, I look and I'm like, I don't want to know what the ingredients are of that. But then, <laughs> but then there, I think there's a lot more of couples that I've seen, married couples, especially that are older and wiser and been doing the married game longer than I have, that I look at their marriage and I'm, I wanna just ask, and what are the ingredients to that? What is the secret sauce going on behind the love that you have for each other? Especially now that I'm a dad too, wanting to even know about parenting, like how did your kid go from what mine is like, only crying and pooping and keeping you up at night to this like wonderful, like, uh, like beautiful heart and Christ follower. You know what I mean? Like, and so I look at that. I don't know if you, especially for married couples here in this room, you, you desire that. Or even if you're, you're hoping, many of us are hoping to get married someday. You see these married couples and say, what's going on? What, what is the ingredients? What is the recipe behind that? And I think the text this morning that we're in is, is going to answer some of those questions. Not every question, right? Because marriage can be complex. And so the question that I have that I want us to ask, kind of repeating myself here, but I want you to just know, here's a question we're going to try to answer this morning. What are some ingredients to a healthy biblical marriage? And so if we uh, have been paying attention for the past couple of months, we're in Colossians. And for the last several weeks, we've been in Colossians chapter three. And you know that in verse one, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, if you are a Christian, as Tony beautifully put, if there are new realities going on in your life because of what Christ has done for you, 
This is how you should live. Mentioned several different things, how we should treat each other. We, we covered not to lie and not to slander and that to put off the old self and put on the new self and those type of themes. And now he's getting very specific. He's entering marriage. And so I, I want to encourage you that we're preaching the, the same text in here and in the worship center. And to be fair, Pastor David's been married a lot longer than I have and preaching a lot longer. So I recommend uh, to also listen to what he has to say this morning. But we're going to jump straight in to Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, if you'll read with me. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So what are some ingredients to a healthy biblical marriage? Now, I can feel um, and know what's happening and, and why that some people, when they found out we're talking about marriage today, a lot of them are kind of on this side, just totally, it's tempting, right, to totally check out, like, I'm not married, like that's, that's super far away. I don't even want to think about that. I'm going to hear so many other good sermons between now and then that are better than yours, bro. Like, I'm good. I'm just going to check out. You want to play on your phone or whatever. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't check out. There's some young on this side too. Don't, don't check out, all right? Because this isn't something, this is, this is all of Scripture, right? We want to know all of Scripture. We want to obey all of Scripture. We want to see what God speaks to. And there, and there are some where because of our past and where we've been, there, there are some that have, uh, marriage is a very, it's a dark word. It's, it's a word that's covered with, with brokenness, with, with separation and hurt and things like that. So what I'm going to encourage you to do, I feel you there. I know that's that dynamic. And so I encourage you to still lean in. Okay, this is God's word. We trust it. Pray he's going to speak life even into those of us who right now honestly have no interest in marriage and those of us who have been hurt by those things or it's just, it has a dark connotation for us. Y'all tracking with me? You good? So because of that, in Colossians chapter 3, 18 through 19, what are some ingredients to a healthy biblical marriage? Even if you're not married, don't ever plan to be or never be again, let's lean in and listen. What we're going to do is we're going to work backwards in the text. So I'm going to read verse 18, focus on that first, or sorry, verse 19, and then go backwards. And here's why. I believe that in an ideal Christian marriage, and you'll find out more why, that the husband initiating and leading his wife and his family and setting that example that, that way is on the husband. And so we're going to read the instructions for the husband first and then look at the role of the wife in the family. And so very simply, what does it say in verse 18? For, sorry, verse 19. I keep doing that. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. So a healthy biblical marriage has a husband who models Christ-like love to his wife. And so the, the wording here is so clear. There's, there's no need. There wasn't any like weird things in the text. Husbands, love your wife. and Love your wife. And so what I love about Colossians and so many of the Greek New Testament letters written by Paul is we can cross-reference Paul. He does it to be fair right here. He doesn't say a whole lot. Hey, just love your wife. Okay, 
well, how, <laughs> right? Like, like what kind of love are we talking about? Is, is that fair to say? Like, man, such an important topic in two sentences, bro, come on. And so what's beautiful is that Paul wrote many letters. He wrote the, the letter of Ephesians and he wrote Ephesians chapter five. And so when we go over to Ephesians chapter five, we see verse 25 and we see some really good things that Paul teaches to, sit to husbands and wives, but right now we're looking at the husband. And he tells the husband not only to love his wife, but to do what? To love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So in other words, the husband's wife, the husband's love for his wife should look a whole lot like the kind of love that Jesus gave us. It's a sacrificial love. It's a die to self love. It's a, honey, the baby's crying. I'm going to get up so you can keep sleeping type of love. I've been trying very imperfectly to, to love that way, okay? It's a, I came not to be served, but to serve love. I, I think it's funny. It's a pretty common joke. I had things, uh, people said these things to me. Like on my wedding day, like, um, they'll say things like this. Hey, um, marriage is like death, except you don't get to go to heaven after you get married. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? You hear that? Some people will say, hey, um, y all, y all, some of y'all are just now catching that. Um, hey, how is your funeral? I, I, mean, I mean wedding. Y'all heard that before? Some of you are like, yeah, I, I said that yesterday. While I would totally, totally disagree with this kind of gloomy, sad picture of marriage because it is incredible and beautiful. I'm not just doing that for brownie points. I'm not just doing that because Caitlin's right there. There is a lot of truth that when a husband gets married to his wife, he is committing to die to himself and take the role of humble servant leader. I'm getting some mean looks from guys. You're like, hey, come on, bro. He's literally the husband is being asked to give up himself, to forfeit his selfishness in order to do what? To best show his wife the love of Christ. And get this, if you keep reading in Ephesians 5, you'll see that the way he loves his wife with love of Christ can actually, check this out, help make her a better Christ follower. Isn't that crazy? Through how well he models Christ in the gospel to her. So though imperfectly, a shadow of Christ is, is what the husband does. She gets just a little taste of that. And so husbands, here's, here's our application. We need to be regularly asking, how can I model the gospel love of Jesus to my wife today? Asking God that, and then do that thing. All right, so with that being said, it's, it's obvious. Isn't it obvious that the second part of verse 19 do not be harsh with them. If we're asking that question, like we're, we're scanning through the Bible, like hmm, just not seeing harshness from Jesus. Hmm. All right, so that's, that's an easy one, right? So if we're asking that question, we're not going to be harsh with our wives. We're reading the Gospels, loving as Christ does. There's no place for harshness or unkindness. What we do see in Jesus and the authority that he has and the leadership that he has over all of us is that he leverages his role of our head to build us up, not tear us down. And so 
what husbands do is we leverage the role of head in the marriage and leader of our families not to tear down and rule over our wives or our kids. We actually, brothers, we leverage this role to take ownership of being the primary person who speaks words of life and words of love into our wives, words of kindness that build up, not tear down, words of gentleness, as if your wife, though imperfectly as we may be, were hearing directly from Jesus himself. And you, I can see the looks, you're like, dude, thanks a lot, man. Like, you're saying my standard for loving my wife is Jesus? Like, really, right? Like, are you kidding me? How am I supposed to be able to do that? I've got some real encouraging news for you. You can't. We can't. We will do this, men in the room, husbands in the room, future husbands in the room. You'll do this imperfectly. And that's why we need to approach our marriages with humility It's a glorious privilege to hold this God-given beautiful role of being Christ to your wife. But it will, at day one or or year 50, as as I've heard, continually challenge and force us to look to Christ and ask him for help to love our wives as he loves us, to, to lean into the Holy Spirit of God and saying, hey, I'm reading in Galatians 5 that a fruit of you, you, Holy Spirit, is love, and I can't produce that of my own accord. So help me to love as Christ loves. Y'all with me? Tracking? And so what are some ingredients to a healthy biblical marriage? The first thing that we just talked about is a healthy biblical marriage has a husband who models Christ-like love to his wife. All right, husbands, you can breathe a little bit. You're breathing, you're sighing. The room is quiet. That's either a good or bad sign. All right, what are some ingredients to a healthy biblical marriage? Let's go back to verse 18 in chapter three. It says this, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. A healthy biblical marriage has a wife who respects her husband. That in the fullness of what this word submit means, she does that very thing. And here's the thing. I'm, I'm not a stranger just because I'm young. I, I'm not unfamiliar. There's a lot of controversy and hurt over this word submit. There are theologies of the roles of men and women created just out of, of, of hurt from this word, not out of an attempt to try to lean into scripture, but just to be the antithesis of what this is saying. And so I know that, but the fact is, is that this morning, brothers and sisters, I can't Greek my way out of this one. It's pretty much straightforward. I wish I could. I tried. I was like, man, is there a softer word that I could use this morning? Um, it, it even sometimes translated this word. You know, hey, don't, don't be mad at me. It's sometimes translated as obey. And that just blows my mind because I'm never looking at Caitlin and saying, hey, Bible says you better obey what I do. Like, never done that. I don't like the doghouse, all right? And I might even get in the doghouse if I say that. Like, the dog is like, you ain't sleeping in here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep if I say that. But I've never, um, not in a serious way, I think we always, it's common to joke about Ephesians 5, like, hey, you should submit. But I've never said that in a serious way. 
And so I, I'm being vulnerable with you as a pastor, as someone who's weekly or sometimes several times weekly having to preach the word of God in a church that does it so faithfully. I'm being vulnerable with you and saying that this word at first glance strikes me in a weird way. Because I just don't talk that way to, to really anybody in any relationship of which I have some sort of authority or leadership. Does that make sense? And so here's where I'm going with this. This passage can so easily fall on hurt, confused, or offended ears. So while I can't try to make this word sound any easier on our ears, what I can do is maybe shed some light on what Paul is doing here in this passage. I was so grateful to be able to spot this this week. I want you to notice the different relationships that he highlights in chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1. And we're covering that in the next couple of weeks. But I'm just going to read this. Is that cool with you guys? If I read this again, I want you to see something. Starting with verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I'm just going to be honest. I have the submit passage. I'm going to let someone else take the bondservants passage, okay? All right, we're hard enough. We're going to focus on that. That's a hard enough thing, especially in our modern worldview, to look at. But what is happening here is Paul is doing this. Paul is highlighting three different types of relationships. Wives to husbands, children to fathers, bond servants and masters. And in each one of them, Paul instructs first the person who is under authority and leadership. And then what does he do? He instructs the one who is the authority or leader. All right, y'all see that? Wives to husbands, children and fathers, bond servants to masters. Here's what's crucial to understand. When you read this passage, one, you cannot, I want you to notice this, rather than being upset by this passage, rather than misusing this passage, which happens plenty of times, rather than trying to make it say something it doesn't, which is, is vain, what you do is you realize this, that it is essential, check this out, that both those under authority and those in authority in the family and social sphere and wherever it may be, all people submit to the teachings of God's word. Amen? And so you see, ultimately, husbands are submitting to God and his word here. His burden is to die to self. That's what he's submitting to. And he is under the authority and leadership of God. So here's what I'm getting at. Wives, if your husband is pursuing 
you with the love that Christ gives, you will not only respect your husbands, but more times than not, you will gladly want to submit to his leadership as the head of your family. And how do I know that? Because if your husband is being faithful to his role, then you know what? As imperfectly as he may be, you are getting a small taste of the loving, humble servant leadership of Christ. Isn't that cool? You are getting... I use this word a lot because I want you to, to know. You're getting an imperfect, yet always conforming picture of Jesus every single day if your husband is submitting the scripture. But guess what? If either in reality or in your opinion, your husband is not doing this well, God and his word calls you to submit, respecting him, and to accept that he is in the role of the head and leader of your marriage, okay? Now look, let's say that you're in a marriage where maybe you're a believer, but your husband is not, or the opposite, the husband's believer, but then so long as it doesn't put you in a place of disobeying God, then you are still to respect and follow your husband's lead. Now let me kind of flesh that out, what this looks like. Um, there have been seasons, I think, in mine and Caitlin's marriage, we haven't been married very long, it's a little over six years, but there's already been plenty of seasons where, not, not to brag, I feel like, man, I, I'm leading well, I'm in a healthy place, I'm walking in the Lord, and that has, is pouring over into those times. And she's even, even like comments, man, thank you so much for how you've been leading. And I know it's so much easier for her, it's so much less of a burden to gladly say, man, I, I really wanna follow Cole and his leadership. Like he's doing, he's doing so good. Now, there have also been times, notice I'm distancing myself from her as I go to the end, joking. <laughs> there have also been times where, man, maybe I'm just doing okay, right? Like it kind of, kind of breaking even, you know, uh, surviving or whatever. I, I think we both, we talked about this last week. We're still have a newborn, still tired. So sometimes it's like, I'm going to take out the trash and change a diaper, but I'm not going to be singing hymns while I do it. You know, I'm, just, you know, I'm going, to, going to do it. We're going to break even. I'm just going to do okay. I'm going to fulfill my role faithfully. And I bet if she were, she were honest, she would say, yeah, like he's, he's doing good. He's loving and leading. But if she were honest, she could say maybe there have been a little bit of like disappointments. Like, man, I really wish she would have initiated here or done this or that. But she still, though imperfectly, just like me, um, would follow my lead and, and love and respect me. And then there's definitely been times um, where I've blown it, um, where whatever's going on internally with me, I'm not dealing with it well, I'm not walking in the Lord very well, it's bleeding over, it's pouring over into our, our marriage, I can be disconnected, I cannot be an, initiating with her and, and doing the things that I know to be doing and doing a lot of what I shouldn't be doing. And and I, I know, as we've talked about this, I know it's very difficult for her to want to um, submit and follow that kind of leadership for me. But again, as imperfectly as she may do it, she still wants to um, be a faithful and loving submissive wife during that time. Okay, and so wives, here's what I'm getting at. Part of respecting your husband, this is something that I think Caitlin does well, is championing his leadership, okay? 
So what that means is that in the good and the okay and the bad seasons, like you're trying to be an encourager to your husband. You're championing him. If he's, and if he's being a bum and he's not responding to you, championing his leadership, pray for him all the more. Encourage him all the more. Pray that God would change his heart. I love one thing that Matt Chandler says. He says to all spouses, he said, you need to become an expert in your spouse's strength, not their weakness. Like you're getting a doctorate degree and everything your spouse does wrong and you need to be getting like multiple doctorates and all that they do well and their strengths and the, and the beauty and the way that God's made them. Another thing that he says is that your spouses, this is for all of us, husbands and wives, your spouses make a terrible Holy Spirit. Do you know that? You're laughing. Those of you who try to be a Holy Spirit, you're laughing with me. All right, you don't need to speak to and critique every little thing. You don't need to make sure they're convicted about every little thing that you are. But you pray that the Lord reveal to them those things as you gently encourage and champion. But I know my husband, even I've been doing this, I've been praying and encouraging him, he still isn't leading well. And I will say that that is a tough spot to be, but here's some encouragement. As you keep praying, as you keep encouraging, as you keep highlighting to him verbally areas where he's done something that you're thankful for, like, I, I'm not even lying, God, this is so basic. Like, Caitlin thanks me for taking out the trash sometimes. He's just like, you know, like, good boy, he can learn. You know what I mean? Like, we need encouragement even in the little things. And she also does, she doesn't just do it in a patronizing way, all right? She does good, important things too. Hey, like, thank you for praying for us here, whatever it may be. And so as you continue to do that, realize that just like you, wives, husbands in the room are in a lifelong process of sanctification and conformity to the image of Christ. Maturity takes time and patience, and it doesn't just keep getting better and better and better that we're like, it's the seasons, right, of growth. We sometimes put sanctification on this linear, like it's just gonna get better and better, like someday like people aren't gonna distinguish me and Jesus, like, no, there's seasons just like you. So in that time, while you're waiting and being patient, here's something you can do. Remember that while he imperfectly reflects Jesus to you, that Jesus himself is the one who really defines you. He is your ultimate purpose and pleasure. The best a husband can ever do is be a reflection of the real deal. He's a, he's a shadow. When you see a shadow and you don't see the substance, what are you trying to look for? The substance. Where's the shadow coming from, Right? Jesus is the one, if you look at the application for husbands to love as Jesus loves, he actually loves and cares for us perfectly the exact way that we need him to. And, and here's the reality is, husbands, maybe you are leading well, but your wife isn't submissive or your wife isn't respectful or like not even where I'm talking about submissive, so we're just talking about responding well to anything. My, my just challenge is for you guys, for all of us, is don't turn your spouse into Jesus when you already have Christ. Don't put your husband somewhere or your wife somewhere where, where Christ belongs. He paid the price for us. He bought us. He calls us his own. We are the bride of Christ. I'm sorry, fellas. Like, the women in the room, they have to be sons of God. We have to be the bride of Christ, all right? It's just fair. If, for those of you who know your Bible, you know what I'm talking about, all right? 
Here's another objection. Um, and I don't want you to take this lightly, and I don't either. Um, the reality is, is that in a broken world, someone could say, but hey, Cole, my, it's hard to say, uh, my husband is verbally or physically abusive, and I don't feel safe. And this can sometimes happen with husbands, but most time, it's a common instance where the husband is doing that, where he's being abusive. And, and that's, I'll just tell you, we're, we're talking about an issue of that almost enters the space of law, where we're, we're break, the law is being broken. And so where I'm, where I'm telling you is this is a time where you need to get help, okay? If you feel unsafe, you need to remove yourself from that danger, and here's why. If that's something that you're going through, I can tell you that there will be people here that would love to talk with you, process some of these things, and identify a next step for you. Because once abuse in the home starts happening, it's not a matter of submitting. Sometimes the abusive spouse can become so far, the husband a lot of times can be so far from the picture of love and care that he himself forfeits getting to be the authority and leader of the home. Y'all see that? And what we do as the body of Christ when we see that happening, as hard as it may be, is we take swift steps to help those families get safe, get to a better place. But check this out. I want you to lean into this. This defines if we have a Christian love or just the love that anybody can do. Even in that state, as hard as it may be, I believe wives or spouses, whoever, your spouse, if they've harmed you in some way, I believe you should still pray for your husbands, wives. Hope that whatever darkness and sin that's going on in their heart that led them to become like this, to do these things, that, would, that the Holy Spirit would heal that in them. You look at Psalm 51. The situation with David and Bathsheba. It's supposed to be the man after God's own heart. And he says in this psalm, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, he, he recognizes my heart is dirty. Renew and restore to me the joy of my salvation and purpose in Christ. You pray those type of things for your husbands, for your spouse, that they would get help. Why is it so important to do that? Because anybody can pray for someone that loves them. But that's not the kingdom economic, is it? We love our enemies. We love those who harm us. We pray for those who are not easy to pray for, who are not easy to love. That right there, doing that, spouses, is Christ-infused love. So what is another ingredient for a healthy biblical marriage? A wife who respects her husband, and then that husband is showing Christ-like love. So for this last one, this is actually not from these two verses specifically, but I believe you could call it a, a meta-narrative of Scripture. What I mean from that, reading from Genesis to Revelation, this is maybe a truth that you could conclude about your marriage. What are some ingredients to a healthy biblical marriage? Our last is a healthy biblical marriage is purposed to make much of Jesus. In other words, we look at our vision that we say all the time, a marriage is designed that you would find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. So let's break this down. What does it look like to find your pleasure in Jesus? It looks like this, that no matter what you may get out of marriage, even the best of the best or the worst of the worst, whatever it may be, all of those are surpassed 
by your delight in Jesus because he defines you. Or that when things seem a little bit difficult, because your ultimate delight is in Jesus, you are not looking to your spouse for what only Jesus provides, ultimate identity, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, and ultimate security. See, there have been times in my marriage where because of Caitlin's love for me, it's given a sense of security and, and warmth and even purpose, you could say. But when I read Hebrews 1 and see that the one who tells the bride of Christ that he is his groom, that he is our groom, that he is upholding the universe by his power, I'm sorry, he wins. He's working in your life constantly. And in terms of salvation, because of him, you can have an eternal security that you belong to him and you dwell with him forever. So what does what purpose look like? That's finding your greatest pleasure. What does purpose look like? It means that when Jesus is your greatest purpose in your marriage, things start to get realigned. Maybe there are increasingly less conversations, and I'm sticking the dagger in my own heart here. I'm with you. Increasingly less conversations about big purchases, the next home we want to buy, the next car, the new TV, the expensive clothes, although those are important conversations, and more conversations about the ways you can bless your neighbors, ways you can look at missions opportunities together, ways you can pray for unbelievers and unbelieving family members that cross your paths and those all around the world. Because, see, when you stop talking about less than or non-ultimate matters and more about what is ultimate, making much of Jesus, what it does is it reorients, reorients sorry, everything in your marriage and families. Let me explain to you kind of why I feel like I'm sticking the dagger in my own heart. Um, today is July, just making sure today is July 26th. Uh, it's been two years um, since Caitlin and I came back home uh, from the mission field. We, we served in East Asia for two years, worked with college students, our primary roles. Was, I mean, honestly, we were those on the ground just like sharing the gospel a lot. And so here's why I'm telling you this. A lot of times people who do that are kind of raised up like, wow, they're so cool. Like they're super Christians. Like they get it. And I can tell you the truth. Like whenever we were there overseas doing what we were doing, which I believe is something that any faithful, obedient person can do. There wasn't anything special about us. We don't like grow wings behind the stage and fly around when you aren't looking. That's not what happens, okay? I don't know, that was a weird example. <laughs> Let's just scratch that. TJ, edit that out, that was weird. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you <laughs> that some of the most intentional living, some of those intentional times where I could say our conversations as we planned out our week together were so oriented around kingdom purposes. There were some things about like, hey, when are we going to go to the grocery store, all that. But it was so oriented and intentionally just laser focused on this is what we're going to do as a family to obey the Great Commission. Make sense? And so where this gets convicting is that since we've been back, what I've noticed is that intentionality so quickly can start to fade. And what happens is that we start trading our desire to make much, much, much of Jesus to instead make much, much, much of the American dream. And it happens so easy. We were told that it would happen. I was like, no. But what happens? And this is, these aren't bad things, but here's an example. You 
you become a homeowner. You have to start paying in bills and you, and you have kids. You have to start adulting, right? That was one missing picture of our time in China as we didn't have a ton of responsibilities of the realistic adult. But what happens is that if we're not intentional, those things... I just lost my spot. I'm so sorry. Hold on a second. <laughs> if you're not intentional, these will become the, the only things that you're talking about. And I don't think any of us want to do that, right? And so here's a, um, a, a metaphor I want to share with you. In one of the videos in our marriage challenge, many of you should have gotten an email and text about that as uh, Southcrest posted that. There's a, a link to right, uh, right Now Media videos that you can watch as married couples. But in one of those, Francis and Lisa Chan, y'all know Francis and Lisa Chan? They talk about how their marriage has the purpose, essentially, of making much of Jesus and obeying the Great Commission. So one interesting example is that they had is that because they do that, like their marriage is about making much of Jesus. Lisa said they don't fight over dumb things. So here's, I'm gonna flesh this out. I think that when the goal of their marriage is to make Jesus known, there probably haven't been a lot of fights from Francis Chan coming home with a 60-inch TV that they didn't discuss purchasing. They're, because that's not how he spends his money, because he thinks about how much the, for meeting our family's needs, those are, that's important, pay the bills, take care of our family, but how much of that could have been used to reach the loss with the gospel? And I would guess that there aren't a lot of times, not a lot of fights from Lisa coming home with a truckload of Louis Vuitton bags that they didn't discuss her, her purchasing. That makes sense? I had to look up Louis Vuitton, by the way, if you're wondering. My wife laughed at me. She's like, do you know what that is? Nope. <laughs> Which is why she shouldn't buy it. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I do know what a 60-inch TV is, I'll tell you that. Um, hey, I would, I would guess, though, when I'm looking at their marriage, and, and they're imperfect just like us, but when they saw an opportunity, when they see an opportunity to help someone in need, they were so quick to agree on that. I bet when they, an opportunity came up, not that they went every time, but some kind of mission trip of some kind. I bet they were quick to talk about that, look at the planning, and like they made it a priority. Hey, let's assess, let's pray. And I bet they took many of those trips. I know that they do. I bet they took a lot of opportunities to pray for themselves and for others to be used for the gospel. I bet they took a lot, a lot of opportunities to pray for gospel needs all around the world. Do you see in this application, I'm not asking you to so much do a lot of things. It's just like praying. Like, where's your heart in this? I think it's been you and God of what that looks like. But you're, you're praying and you're talking, you're orienting your desires and your affections around seeing Jesus being made known. Does that make sense? So what we need to do is be intentional about decisions that we make as married couples in light of what actually makes much of Jesus versus what just makes much out of our pursuit of possessions and the American dream. And it's a slippery slope. You gotta be careful. So you have to be intentional, constantly leaning into that. And I know, I know, because I justify this myself. Well, it's not bad to have nice things. You bet, man. Golly, I, there are, um, I think just because of my circle, some of the wealthiest people I know are some of the most Christ-like, joyful people. Like, I just wanna be around them 
all day. And they always inviting people into their, their home and having people. It's, it's amazing. I'm not saying, hey, it's bad to have nice things. It's not. But let me ask you this. Do you want to live your life and purpose your life to do what's not bad? Or do you want to live your life to do the ultimate good? You see that? See that different heart change? It's not about what you don't do. It's about what you do. How you live, what you do. And so for us in our, in our marriages, in our lives, we need to choose us this day whom we will serve. Is it God or something else? So healthy biblical marriage, as we wrap up a little bit today, is purpose to make much of Jesus. So I ask the, the band to come up as we think about some of these things, as we reflect back on this. And I just want to ask you, what is at stake if you leave here and, and, and you do not, you choose to not care at all about Colossians 3, 18 through 19 or Ephesians 5 or, or the role of husband to love as Christ, the role of the wife to, to respect him or to make much of Jesus. Like, what is at stake? It's an important question. Has this been a waste of our time? And I think here are some questions that kind of ask to maybe reveal to you, what is at stake? I would just, I wonder... This is not to condemn. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us have lived in sin and experienced darkness and brokenness in relationships. But I wonder how much the divorce rate in Christian marriages would go down if husbands and wives embraced these ingredients of a healthy biblical marriage. Rather than just another dysfunctional relationship that anyone can have, I wonder if unbelievers would start to look at Christian marriages and see a picture of the gospel. I wonder if rather, rather than our culture criticizing Christians' view of marriage, because it just looks like a bunch of Bible-thumping bigots sometimes, if they would rather see why we defend biblical marriage as they look and they see something of beauty that they can't explain in their worldview. They've never tasted ingredients like that because they don't have them. It's only available in Christ. So that's what at stake. Here's the thing. There is more at stake than just you, brothers and sisters. Marriage is one of the vehicles that God uses to bring people to a knowledge of his goodness and his grace in the gospel. What's at stake is a lost and dying world who needs a visible display of God's love. You can do that single, married, whatever you do. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. And when husbands and wives are on the same page with God and his word, he can use marriages to do exactly that. That's what's at stake. And so for those of you that are not married, this is why I told you to hang on. You look for these things. Don't settle for anything less, sisters than a guy who loves to make much of Jesus and is going to imperfectly, as though it may be, love you as he loves. Men, don't settle for less than a woman who makes much of Jesus. Young men, boys in the room, don't settle. There is so much more at stake than just who you wanna be with. It is God joining you in union to make much of Jesus. And a simple, tangible application for you this week. I, I made mention of it. For those of you that are married, 
Maybe you're in a season of engagement or getting close to there. Francis and Lisa Chan said very clearly in that marriage challenge video that focusing on the Great Commission, it gave them a vision for their marriage. It gave their marriage a purpose. They have a biblical direction and vision. So that's my challenge for you. There's three videos for you to go and watch. And by the way, I think if you enter, you get like a gift card somewhere. So that's pretty cool too. That's an incentive. But really our incentive we know is that we, hey, we want our marriages to make much of Jesus. Amen? Amen? So as we conclude, you can talk with a, a pastor. A lot of times what we'll do, if we sense a, a, you needing a good discussion and, and some counsel, we have a seating area over there outside those doors where we can talk. Covered lots of lots of topics, and here's the reality: we we joke about this. All that person came up for prayer; their life must be a mess. Guess what? All of us have brokenness and sin we're dealing with. All of us need encouragement. I'm leery of the husband who says he doesn't need prayer, <laughs> or the wife, or the the couple, or the single person who's trying to to gauge and identify what season of life they're in. Does it make sense? So we're over here. We're praying for you. We want to pray for you you're single and you've been through a tough, damaging relationship, the good news is that there is redemption in Christ. If you don't know that, we want to talk with you and show you that. If you've been divorced and the family dynamic is so messed up, what, does, what Jesus does is he brings stability even to something with so much tension and so much unresolved. Did you know that Jesus doesn't want a divorce? That's good news. So couples, we can, we can make money together, build our, our lives up. We can make children together. We can make a nice little life together. We can make our dreams come true. But what's most important to make? We must make much of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this morning and for these truths. God, I'm praying that you work in all of our hearts that you, if you have not yet to penetrate to the heart of the skeptic in this room, um, penetrate to the heart of someone who, just like me, needed these truths this week. And you would draw us to repentance of where we fall short, draw us to joy and worship as we see the beauty of your design for marriage. God, I'm praying for those that, um, God, are, are single and wrestling with this and this can so easily bring up just hurt and more confusion. God, I pray that they would be so satisfied with you, Jesus, the groom to us as the body, that right now, whatever the season entails, that they would have a contentment and joy. God, if there is a time where you ever, where you do, or if and when, bring them to, to meet their spouse, that their spouse would find them so satisfied with Jesus that their priorities are set they would find someone that would be a great companion because they're both about making much of you. God, lead our hearts in worship to respond, to proclaim that you're beautiful, that the bride will one day come together with you and we will sing you're beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.